Chapter 22 of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Lintout. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter 22. Daniel found Dawn huddled at the foot of a tree, behind a thicket of laurel, with her bag beside her and tears on her frightened face. The dog had broken away from her, and met him with a joyous bark, wagging his tail and running back and forth between them, his ragged, hairy body wriggling joyously. For had he not both of them here together, far away from intruding strangers? Why should not all be well now? Oh, Daniel, said Dawn, in a voice that was almost a sob, why did you come after me? I had to, said Dan, looking almost sullen. I couldn't let you come off alone. Besides, you don't need to go. We won't let anybody hurt you. I can knock that fellow into the middle of next week if you said the word. But the trouble was not lifted from her face. You are very good, and I thank you more than I can ever tell, she answered him. But I must go away. He is a bad man, and he thinks he has some power over me. It would be of no use for you to knock him into next week, for he would be on hand again the next week to deal with. He would tell the minister and everybody that he had the right to take me away, and they would all believe him. He can make wrong things seem right to people. He has done it before. I'm afraid of him. I never expected to meet him here. There is nothing to do but get away where he can't find me. I must get away at once, or he may follow me. Will you please take rags and go back now? And will you take a letter that I left in that schoolhouse to the minister? I am so sorry to go this way, but it cannot be helped. I must get away from that man. Is he... Has he any right? began Daniel lamely, and then burst out. I mean, is he anything to you? Any kind of relation, you know? Nothing in the world, I'm thankful to say, and he never shall be as long as I live. But I never could feel safe again, now that he knows where I am. Dan stood puzzled and troubled. Say, don't you know how you're going to make all the school feel bad if you go this way? The little ones will wait for you tomorrow morning, and they'll go there to the school, and you won't be there. We never had a teacher that made everybody like to study before. You oughtn't to go this way. You can't go, he stopped, choking. Dawn looked at him a moment, the tears gathering anew in her own eyes. Then suddenly down went her head in her hands, and she cried as if her heart would break. Oh, Daniel, she said, please don't. I don't want to go. I shall never be as happy again. I know. And you have been so good to me. But I must. The big boy went down on his knees beside her then and put his rough hand reverently on hers. Don't, he said. Don't. I've got to tell you something. Perhaps you won't like it. I don't know. I'm not near as good as you, and I don't know as much as you do, but I'll study hard and go to college and do anything else you say just to please you, if you won't go away, if you'll just stay here and let me take care of you. I love you, and I don't care who knows it. I've been feeling this way about you all winter, only I thought perhaps you'd like me better when I got more education. But now you see, I've got to tell you how it is. Don't you like me enough to stay and let me take care of you? I love you. But Dawn interrupted him with a moan. Oh, Daniel, you too? Then I haven't got anybody left, not a friend in the world. She sobbed afresh. Daniel dropped down on the moss beside her in dismay. His heart grew heavy as lead within him, and the world suddenly looked blank. Yes, you have, he said. I'll be your friend if you won't let me be anything else. I was afraid it would make you mad, he spoke hopelessly. I ain't good enough for you, I know. But I'm strong, and I study hard and get an education, and I'll take wonderful care of you. You shouldn't ever have to work. You're a lady. That's why I like you. You're the prettiest thing that was ever made. 
and I'd like nothing better than to work for you all my life. But I might and know you wouldn't think I was good enough. He broke off helplessly, and she saw that his broad chest was heaving painfully, and that his usually smiling lips were quivering. She put out her hand and laid it gently on his. Dear Daniel, she said, listen, it isn't about that at all. He caught the cool little hand and pressed it against his eyes that were burning hot with boyish tears he was ashamed to shed. It was years since tears had been in those eyes. He had almost forgotten the smart of them. He had scorned the thought of them even in his babyhood. Yet here, just when he longed to be a man, they came to make his shame complete. Listen, Dan, said Dawn earnestly. It isn't that at all. You're good and dear enough for anybody, and I do love you too, for you've been very good to me. I love you for yourself too. But not in that way, Dan. I love someone else. I loved him first and shall always love him, and and I belong to him. I couldn't belong to anyone else. You know, after that. I'm sorry, Dan. So sorry you feel bad about it. But you see how it is. I belong to someone else first. Is it him? He blurted out fiercely. Oh, no, Dan. Oh, no. I'm very, very thankful it isn't that man. If it were, I should die. I couldn't love him. You wouldn't think I could. There was silence in the quiet woods for a moment. It ain't Sile Dobson, he asked fearfully at last. Dawn's laugh burst out softly then. Oh, Dan, you know better than that. You knew without asking. How could anyone love him? No, Dan, the one I belong to is fine and grand and noble. Everything he ought to be. Then why doesn't he take care of you? Burst forth Dan indignantly. I wouldn't let you teach school if you belong to me, and I wouldn't let that fellow frighten you. He can't be all you say, or he'd take care of you. Dawn's cheeks were very red. He doesn't know where I am, she said softly. I went away because, well, it was for a good reason. It was for his sake. I had to go. Things had happened. I can't tell you about it, but it would have made him trouble if I had stayed. Dan sat looking at her steadily, a great wistful yearning in his eyes. I guess you're wrong about that, he said thoughtfully. I guess he'd rather have you and the trouble than to have no trouble without you. Leastways, I would. And if he don't love you that way, he ain't much account. A troubled look came into Dawn's eyes. It was the first time she had questioned, from Charles's standpoint, the wisdom of her running way. It would have made a lot of trouble all around, she said, shaking her head doubtfully. Say, look there, said Dan, sitting up suddenly. You tell me where that fellow is, and I'll go tell him all about you, and how that other fellow is worrying you, and how you need him to take care of you. And then if he don't seem to want to find you and look out for you, why, I won't tell him where you are. I'll come back and take care of you myself, anyway. You needn't like me nor nothing if you don't want to, but I ain't going to stand having you running off around the world, frightened of that fellow all the time. Not if I have to chop him up myself. I tell you, I love you. Dan's blue eyes were flashing and his cheeks were red with determination. He let go of her hand as if it were a gracious favour she had bestowed upon him for the moment in his dire distress, and he had no right to keep it. But Dawn put it out again and laid it on his gently. Daniel, you are my dear friend for always, and I am glad to feel that you would take care of me if you could. But truly, there is nothing you can do. I would not have you go to him for the world. He must not know where I am, nor be troubled ever by any thought of me. It was for that I came away. You would grieve me more than I could tell you if you did. I want him to forget me, because it could only make more trouble if he found me. He would have to come to me. He would want to come, I know, if you told him. But I don't want him to come. You don't understand, of course, 
and I mustn't tell you any more. Only there is nothing can be done for me to go away and find a place somewhere where no one can find me. Then people will forget, and I shall not bring any trouble or disgrace on him, though it wasn't at all my fault, she added. I want you to know that, Daniel. Of course, growled Daniel, looking down at the little hand on his as if it were an angel's and might be wafted away with a breath. But I'm going with you myself then, and see you to some safe place. Oh, but you mustn't, Dan. I couldn't let you. It wouldn't be right, you know. People would think it very strange. People needn't know anything about it. I don't need to talk to you. I can keep far enough away to see that no one hurts you till you get a good, safe place. But Dan, the folks at your home, they would think we had gone away together. I do not want them to think wrong of me, even if I'm not there to bear it. Dan was baffled. He saw at once that it would not do. He must go back and bear the loneliness and the thought of her fighting her own battles. Well, I'll go with you now anyway, he said, at last with determination. I'll see you safe to some coach somewhere and come back in the night. I can get to my room without mother hearing me. She never worries about me now anymore and don't stay awake to listen for me. She'll never know when I get in. I'll go back and tell him I helped you carry your bags across country to Sherry Valley coach or somewhere. I've got the person's letter here in my pocket. That villain came to the schoolhouse after you, and I picked up the letter so he wouldn't see you. Oh, did he come to the school after me? Then perhaps he has followed us. Dan, I must go quickly. Come on, said Dan, as though he were proposing to walk to his death. At least he was not to leave her yet. He picked up her bag and helped her to her feet. Then, still holding the hand by which he had helped her up, he bent over and kissed it reverently. Then he straightened up with a royal look of manhood in his eyes and turned to her. You won't mind that just once, will you? That hand did a whole lot for me, beginning when it gave me that first licking. Dawn smiled sadly. Then, with sudden impulse, she reached up, caught his face between her hands, drew it down to her own, and gently, seriously, kissed him upon the forehead as if it were a sacred rite. I love you, Dan, she said. I'm so sorry it can't be the kind of love you want, but I'll be your dear friend always. I never had a brother. Perhaps I might call you my brother. It would be nice to have a brother like you. You have been very, very good to me, and I shall never forget it. Dan looked at her as if she had laid a benediction upon him. After all, he was young, and it was much to have her friendship. And if another had her love, at least he, Daniel, was on the spot and might help her now, which went a great way toward making him feel better about the other fellow. The boy had begun to have a lurking pity for him, besides. And who was he, Daniel? that he should hope to hold a girl like this for himself. It was much that he had known her. It was right that she should have a lover, such as she had described, fine and grand and noble. Almost the great heart of the boy lover felt he could take them both in and care for them and bring them together, perhaps. Who knew? They hurried through the woods, the boy directing the way now, and she depending upon him. He decided that it would be well for her to take a certain stage line that could be reached only by a good walk of several miles across the country, he knew the way, and she was only too glad to have a guide. That was Dan's great day of happiness. For years afterward, he remembered every little incident. He seemed to know while it was all happening that it was a special gift granted him in view of the sorrow and sacrifice he must pass through. His was no passing love of the boy. He realised that the girl beside him was one in a thousand, and that it was enough for a lifetime just to have known her, and to be able to remember one such perfect afternoon as this. To dawn... It was given to understand her power for that brief season and to use it to its utmost for the boy's good. She talked to him earnestly about himself and his future 
and urged him to make the utmost of every opportunity. She made him understand that he had the gift of leading others and that someday he might take a great stand in the world for some cause of right against wrong when others would flock to his standard and let him lead them to victory. It was an unusual thing that a girl like Dawn should see his possibilities and point him to a great ambition, but Dawn was an unusual girl. Some girls, even though they might have done no real wrong, would have taken advantage of the boy's confessed love and have coquetted with him. Dawn treated him with the utmost gentleness, as if she understood the pain she must inflict and would fain give him something fine to take the place of what he had lost. When they came to a hill, they took hold of hands and raced down. When they came to a brook, he helped her gravely across, just as he had helped her ever since she came to teach the school. He said no more about his love. It was understood between them that it was a closed incident, to be put away in the sacred recesses of their hearts. Into the girl's face had come a tender, womanly interest that for the time being almost made up to the boy for the loss of her. It was while they were walking down a long stretch of brown road straight into a glorious sunset that the boy asked quite suddenly, has he been to college? Dawn knew at once whom he meant and began simply to tell all about Charles. It did her good to speak of him. It seemed to bring him nearer. Her face blossomed into sweetness as she talked. There was not much to say, not much about him that she could tell to a stranger from her one brief day's acquaintance with her husband, yet she managed to say a good deal. Charles would have been amazed to hear her describe his high ambitions and noble thoughts. He did not dream how well the girl had read him during their one blissful day together. And now she was painting him as an ideal for the rude boy who walked beside her and listened, with his heart filled with patient envy that presently lost its bitterness in pity for the other one, who might have her great love, yet might not walk beside her as he was doing. At last, Dan broke in upon her words. "'Tisn't right he shouldn't know where you are. If he's anything like what you think he is, he's most crazy hunting you. I know how he feels. Dawn shook her head sadly and told him he did not understand, but his words sank into her heart for future meditation, and she could not quite get away from the thought that perhaps she had been wrong, after all, in going away. Perhaps it might have been more heroic to stay and face the hard things right where she had been. The long spring twilight had almost faded into darkness, as they came at last to the inn where the coach would pass. Neither had spoken for some time. There was upon them a sense of their coming separation, and it depressed them. Already Dawn was looking into her lonely future, and dreading to lose this only friend she had. Already Dan was realising what the going back was to be. They had arranged it all. Dan was to take the letter to the minister and explain that he had helped the teacher to catch a cross-country stage. He had taken it upon himself also to carry messages to the scholars and to her kind friends, brief messages of goodbye and haste and sorrow, with the promise too, at Dan's earnest solicitation, that if she ever could, she would return to them. Then, at the end, they had no time for parting. The stage was just driving up to the inn as they reached there. There was no time even for supper, though neither of them thought of it at the time. Dan put her into the coach and arranged her bag comfortably, but he had to get out at once as others were pressing in. He went outside in the dim light and stood by her window, looking up, trying to keep rags from breaking away and getting into the coach. Something in his throat choked him. He could not speak. The people were all in and the driver was climbing to his place when Dawn reached out her hand and caught Dan's, giving it a quick little squeeze. Dear Dan, she whispered and leaned out, don't forget to be the best you can. He caught the little hand and laid his lips against it in the half-darkness.
Rags had broken away and was barking wildly at the coach door. But the horses started and took Dawn away from the boy and the dog, and in a moment more they stood alone in the road, looking down the street at the dim black speck in the distance which was the coach. Then slowly, silently, the one with downcast head, the other with drooping tail, Daniel and his dog took their way back over the road they had come so happily that afternoon. The dog could not understand, and now and then stopped, looked back, and whined, as if to say they ought to go back and do things over again. At last, when they reached the country roadside, where all was still, and there were only the brooding stars to see, Dan sat down on a bank by the roadside, buried his face in his hands, and both down upon the cool, wet earth that was just beginning to spring into greenness. Then he gave way to his grief, while Rags, almost beside himself with distress, whined about him, snuffed up and down the road, and then sat down and howled at the late moon, which was just rising over the hill. By and by, Dan got up and called the dog. Together they started on their journey again, a silent, thoughtful pair. But never afterward did the boy Dan return. He was a man. He had suffered and grown. In his face were born resolve and determination. People wondered at the change in the careless, happy boy and grew proud of his thoughtfulness. End of chapter 22